It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, July the 2nd, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Welcome in, everybody. Happy early 4th of July. Uh, Coming to you just a little bit before the weekend as it's a holiday weekend. And uh, baseball is back. At least spring training 2.0 is back. First time that I feel we can actually talk about the 2020 season and some baseball. And joining us to kick off the occasion, uh, a guest that I was planning on having right before... Season 1.0 was going to start. Uh, Tim Healy of Newsday, Mets beat reporter for Newsday. And uh, he'll join us in just a little bit. And, and we'll get a feel. You know, has he, does he feel different about this Mets team? What does he think about this Mets team in the context of the 60 game sprint and with the new roster construction with the DH? And obviously, the big news that happened uh, from a roster standpoint during the pandemic and the shutdown Noah Syndergaard undergoing Tommy John surgery. So that's. Something that we haven't really talked a lot about, and that's a big blow to the Mets. So he'll join us in just a little bit, and he'll kick off Spring Training 2.0, which commenced yesterday, uh, July 1st. And we're about uh, a little over three weeks to this weekend. We'll we'll see the start of the uh, 2020 baseball season, and let's see what happens here and whether this actually gets off the ground. I know that there's been some players that have already opted out. We'll see if there's more. And uh, we'll get to all that fun stuff. So let me kick off before I get to Tim real quick, uh, my thoughts on the team. And I said this to you uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was on uh, another podcast, that as we were talking about the Mets, I felt rusty. And all that prep as we went through the offseason and as we built up all the momentum towards opening day, because we've been talking about labor and about baseball the new the new world and pandemic and rules and doing a lot of lookbacks not really talking a lot about the 2020 Mets this the game was shut down it wasn't like an off season where you could still talk about the team it was but basically frozen so as i was preparing uh, for Tim Healy and this segment i thought okay what do i feel you know how can i succinctly put together my feelings about the team going into this second spring training And it's hard because you're looking at a completely different season. All the benchmarks, all the things we look for, the the marathon type things, uh, as you say, let's let's see how this develops. And here's a key point in the season. And and you know, figure out who you are, find your identity through the first fifty to eighty games. It's okay. Just just don't think get make things get too crazy in, in one way. And the Mets actually did make things get too crazy in a bad way, falling to over 10 games below 500 last year. And it was pretty remarkable that they were able to, you know, get into the race and nearly make the playoffs. So all that's out the window. You've got this 60 games in 66 days. 
who the heck knows who's going to have to be quarantined for two weeks. That's why you have this huge taxi squad that'll be working out over in Brooklyn at MCU Park. Uh, guys like Melky Cabrera is on that squad and Gordon Beckham. And I think you're going to have some other veterans who are going to be looking for jobs, signing minor league deals. That's almost the minor league season. Now that the minor league season is canceled, all bets are off. The Mets are going to bring in a lot of these veterans. They're going to have a trouble finding jobs. We're having trouble finding jobs. We're in camps like Jared Hughes, who actually got a major league deal. Uh, Jared Hughes was in, ca- in camp with, with the Astros, and now they're coming back to try to you know, make this ball club. So it's a weird situation. A complete train going at 100 miles an hour, stopping now at, uh, to a complete halt, and now trying to pick up that momentum and going forward. As far as the Mets... And it's good to be actually talking baseball now. And I know that there's a lot of you in the audience that didn't like when I wasn't talking baseball. We'll get to that later. But I don't have, even with the Syndergaard injury, I do not believe the Mets are a team that cannot make the postseason. Cannot win the division. I I, I think they're right up there with the Phillies. Certainly with the Phillies. With the Braves. The, you know, the Nationals are the champions. But you know they've taken some hits with Rendon and what have you. Let's see how, you know, they repeating is always hard. Uh, this makes it even more hard where there's that uh, extended layover. So, uh, you know, that's a really tough division, the NL East. We know that. Uh, we know that there's going to be a dogfight between those four teams. You know, the Marlins are at least on paper because they brought in some major league players who are not, you know, a double-A AA or triple-A team uh, disguised as a major league team like last year. And you're playing the American League East, so that plays into it. Uh, so it's not going to be easy. And as far as we know, it's not going to be an expanded playoffs. There's so much still up in the air about that. You hear that that might change. But what do I feel about this Mets team? So when you went into season 1.0, you had a rotation, even without Zach Wheeler, that you had four starters that could get you let's say three and a half, because I always count Mats as a half, because you could always swing from being a number five to being a number three to sometimes being higher than that in small stretches. You had three and a half pitchers that could get you into the seventh inning on a fairly consistent basis. And then you would mess around with the Porcello in the fifth spot. And Porcello, as a veteran in the fifth spot, is a pretty good fifth starter. So it mitigated a lot of the pain of losing a Zach Wheeler. Not going to get into that. I know that that's going to come into my next comment uh, as you go forward, you have an offense and you still have an offense. And I actually think it's an offense with the DH that's even more dangerous. That was top 10 in all of baseball in the second half last year in runs created, in win shares, uh, there, you know, in actual physical runs scored. If you want to just go by an old stat, that's in all of baseball. That's competing with, they're an offense that had a, a pitcher's spot that is. As good, if not better, than many American League teams, including a team in the National League that plays out in Colorado. So that hasn't changed. And with the DH and the ability to move guys, keep them fresh, keep them rested, uh, you know, putting a guy like Cespedes in the lineup now every day, if his body could withstand actually getting up to the plate and running the bases every day, to me is huge. And it's only going to make them better. In the National League, if you just do a uh, uh, fan graphs, comparison of just the National League. They're third in the National League in the second half. Dodgers, Nationals ahead of them. Nationals number one, Dodgers number two. And I know that's not the full season, but the Mets, I think, came together. And a lot of what you saw 
they could be came together in the second half. And I don't see why that sample size can't be brought over into 2020. We all know what the Achilles heel was in 2019. It was the bullpen. And they upgraded that. They brought in Dylan Batances. You hope that Diaz can be better. Justin Wilson stays healthy for a year. You have Seth Lugo who can be kind of this two to three inning swing guy maybe every other day. Maybe you need him now more because you're dealing with a rotation. And that's where the big difference comes. I'll get to that. That does not have Noah Syndergaard. So the bullpen was important, but... It's not the critical importance now. It was always important, but I think it is amplified now. Because in Mets 2020 2.0, you don't have confidence that out of, let's say, two and a half times through the rotation, that the, they could get to the seventh inning and hand over a clean bullpen to six outs. That if you want to avoid a slumping familia, or you can't use Lugo, because of restrictions with his utilization. You know, you you might not have that opportunity through the rotation. You might have nights where you need to get 9 to 11, maybe 12 outs out of your bullpen. And that's a big difference. And you're going to say, well, Syndergaard makes that much of a difference? Well, it's Syndergaard for sure, who didn't always give you the seven innings, especially in the first half. But you still had confidence that not only could he give you seven innings, he could be your 1A or as good as DeGrom. Uh, I'm not sure I could say that about Stroman. I certainly can't say that about Mats. And Waka and Porcello are guys that certainly could give you top-of-the-rotation performances, but I'm not counting on it. See, with Syndergaard, you expected it. And Wheeler was starting to give it to you consistently, even though he was prone to be, especially on the road and especially against good offensive teams, as much a number 5 as a Porcello or a Waka. Look at the numbers. We've done. We've talked about this. If you've been listening to the show for a while, we've talked about all this. So Mets 2.0 can still achieve, and, and the outcome can still be, in my opinion, the same. It's just going to look different. It's going to be more bats and more bullpen. And there's going to be games where a Waka probably is going to get you through five, and maybe it's a three or four run situation, and the Mets are going to have to win seven to four, seven to five. And they're going to have to uh, get good performances. You know, bringing in a Jared Hughes, who, if you look at the numbers, uh, the peripherals indicate that maybe his overall ERA and his success on the traditional stats are not quite as impressive. We'll we'll have to see him in person. I mean, the stats only tell me one thing. I haven't watched Jared Hughes other than a you know a handful of times where the Mets have played the Reds and then the Phillies last year. I believe Todd Zeal or Michael Conforto hit a big home run off of him. I think it was Todd Zeal if I'm not mistaken, in a, in a game in the second half last year. So that's where this all comes into play. Puts more of an onus on Luis Rojas and the coaching staff. Uh, Jeremy Hefner managing this bullpen. That's I've, I've said that with a manager. The clubhouse, managing the media, managing his bosses in the front office. And that's the new one, managing his bosses in the front office. And managing the bullpen has always been a big part of that job. And now it's even more critical because if you blow in a three-game set or if they're going to do four-game sets, one or two games because of really bizarre, inadequate bullpen management, I, you know, i.e. Terry Collins-level bullpen management, you're in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. The way I see it, if you're going to be anywhere near a possibility of a division contender, a division title in this sprint, you got to win about 35 games. 
You win 40 games, you're going to make the playoffs. I find it hard to believe a lot of teams are going to go 40 and 20. 35 wins is kind of where I see it at. So rather than looking at a magic number, I look at it in wins. If you are at 35 wins out of the 60 games, 36 maybe-ish, 35, I think you have a good shot at being in the postseason, either as a division winner or as a wild card. And yeah, you're going to have games against the Blue Jays and the Orioles and the Marlins, but you're going to have plenty against the Yankees. You're going to have the Nationals, who are still champs, and, and champions, even when they lose big pieces, they have that kind of that carpet you know, push that gets you through subsequent seasons. The Braves always seemed, even when they lost pieces, to do that. The Nats have been a really good team for a decade now, a really good organization for a decade, even with all the criticism of some of the things that have gone on and some of the failures. Uh, the Braves are young, and they're uh, a contact, spunky team. They lost Donaldson, so let's see how that impacts them. See, I think every team in this division lost something and maybe gained something, so they look a little bit different, but I don't know if they're necessarily that much different in terms of what they can produce. We'll see. The American League and the fact that you're not playing any of these other teams in these other divisions, so you can't even make up ground in a wild card scenario against the Central and the West, uh, you, they might as well not exist in terms of until the postseason. So that's where I see the Mets standing 2.0. It's not going to be your typical spring training where we go week by week and we do the grapefruit roundups and we build this up. And I don't know what to expect. I don't know. But I do know one thing, and I'm not sure that you would disagree with this. And, and I'll get to Tim Healy. I'll give you one more point before I get to Tim Healy. If somebody came to me, if it was an old deal with the devil, and I'm sure I'll get criticized, how could you bring up the devil on your podcast? Like, just a proverbial you know, statement, you know, an analogy. And he said, I'll guarantee you in your lifetime the Mets will win a championship. But I cannot guarantee you any other season but 2020. You want to roll the dice, you still have a shot. I'm not saying they won't if you don't take this guarantee. But the only guarantee that I could give you is 2020 in this pandemic season. I don't know if I take it. I don't know if it's going to feel the same. I do know that the media will validate the Yankees and the Dodgers. Certainly the Yankees. Oh, well, the Yankees saved the, you know, this, the world here that is going through this horrible tragedy. Look, they brought so many smiles to the faces of people. They'll, you know, be allowed to throw up a pennant and celebrate a championship. Everybody else will be told, especially the Mets, well, it's it's... It's like the old, when I played in uh, Sandlot Ball, we used to have the playoff teams and then you used to have the tournament. The tournament teams were the teams that were, did not make the playoffs. So if you won the tournament, usually the team that won the tournament uh, in, in the league that I played in in Bensoners, the following season usually was pretty good because it was usually a team that uh, they, were trying to, they were a little younger, maybe they were trying to grow together, you know, a little myriad of reasons. So this is almost going to be looked at like the, uh, the NIT. right? Is that, that the right way to put it? The NIT champion in college basketball, never gets looked at like the NCAA champion, nor should they. But schools put up NIT championships, and there are some really cool NIT championship teams, and those teams usually make the tournament the next year, and sometimes if they stayed together in the old college basketball, they would, you know, when they stayed four years, you would that would be the beginning of maybe a two, three-year run where that was a, a, a national championship contender. Is 2020 going to be the NIT? Is it going to be old Mike Silva tournament back during his Sandlot days in Brooklyn back in the uh, 80s and early 90s? I don't know. 
I mean, to me, I'm not sure I'm ready to embrace this as more than a distraction and a, and a cool thing to follow. And I love the sport and I love doing this podcast and I'll give everything I can give. But I'm still not sure how I feel about this 60-game season and a season that's still going to be overshadowed by health and safety, by politics, as much as you guys don't like it. Sports now is in the crosshairs of politics, uh, especially in an election year. You can't escape it. It's not going to be an escape because everywhere you turn, people are bringing it up. Nobody really right now wants to be distracted away from the virus, at least in the media. So now this distraction of three hours is no longer a distraction. It's right there in your face. If you watch an NBA game, if the NBA gets off, the courts are going to be blaring in your face about what's going on in the world. Good, bad, or indifferent. I'm not making a statement about it. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's just, it's fact. And that's not what sports is about. And that's where I'm, I'm hoping that as the games start and it looks normal outside of the fact that the fans aren't there. And I think it will start to look normal as the fans aren't there. That we'll be able to get back into it. And maybe that signature and that championship that you get you know maybe that will mean a little bit more you know for those that you have offices or rooms that you want to put pennants up you'll still want to put that pennant can't get it from Odell's they're bankrupt who knows who's going to do those now but um be that as it may all right let's take a quick break when I return Tim Healy of Newsday Mets beat reporter for Newsday great pieces up about Brody Van Wagenen looking at the Mets uh Newsday's a fine paper and uh, I'm biased because I'm out here on Long Island so you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Did you know you could go back and download old editions of the Talking Mets podcast? On a recent edition, Dan Hayes, Minnesota Twins beat reporter for The Athletic, told us how Jeremy Hefner helped the Twins bullpen last season and what he could bring as the new Mets pitching coach. You look at that group and, and they learned a lot from him and I, you know, there was a constant work with Trevor May over the course of the year to eliminate pitches and, and just simplify things. And I think that really helped him. You look at him and Tyler Duffy, and, and Tyler Duffy changed things around last year. You know, Tyler Duffy was a, a, a two-team fastball guy his entire career. Throw it down the zone, throw down the zone. And, and basically last year they said, hey, we want you to throw up. And, and he went from 92 to 95. And uh, There was a lot of work with, with Hefner on – just solidifying the mechanics and making sure the release point was good. And um, there was a lot of instruction that went on. And I think that's something that he's really good at and getting through to guys. And um, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. You know, it might be a little tricky, a first-year manager and a, a first-year pitching coach. That's going to be an interesting dynamic. But, you know, just talking to him constantly about in-game decisions that are made and he's got the right head for the position it's just going to be growing together with uh, Beltran in that first year listen to this and more at www.talkingmitspodcast.com I'm joined by Mets beat reporter for Newsday, Tim Healy. Uh, you guys can check him out on Twitter, at Tim B. Healy. Also has a book out from a few years ago, pretty appropriate with the minor league season being canceled, Hometown Hardball, a minor league baseball road trip, and uh, maybe we'll get to that. But Tim, welcome back. Uh, Mets baseball 2.0. I know you and I uh, exchanged a conversation just around when things were getting shut down. Seems like a lifetime ago, so welcome back. And uh Geez, 2020 seems about 10 years worth of uh, news and sports information, and, and none of it's on the field. 
Right, yeah, a, a lot has changed, and none of it really pertains to on-field stuff, or, or until recently, none of it did. I remember when we talked in March, and you asked me to come on, and I said, you know what, let's let's give it like about a week, see how things sort out, see what this really looks like. And here we are, three and a half months later, uh, finally knowing what it looks like, and, and I'm finally coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I look at the Mets team, I don't think... Um... I've changed my opinion. I think they're a very good team. I think they certainly are, are up there with a lot of the other teams in the East. You maybe can make the argument that the, obviously the Nationals are champions and, and the Braves, a lot of people like them and could pick them, but the Mets are right in there. The difference for me is this. I looked at it as a team built on starting pitching and a very, I think, underrated offense. I think the offense, uh, I, think, I don't think people realize how good the offense was in the second half. Now without Syndergaard, and I know Syndergaard wasn't Syndergaard, the rotation, I think, two to three times in, in the turn may need to go to the bullpen in the sixth inning instead of the seventh inning plus, which is what they were able to do last year. So it's bats and bullpen like most of the rest of baseball. So it's a little bit different, and I think in a short series it might be more of a concern, but I still like the Mets. I just think they're a little bit different without Syndergaard. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree with most of that. The Mets should be right in the thick of things in the, in the division. Uh, coming into last year, I thought Braves, Nationals, Mets, Phillies, you know, they could feasibly finish in any order. And I think that's maybe even more true this year. I think I give the Braves a little more love than it sounds like you do. I think people forget that they are back-to-back division champions uh, who uh, obviously didn't make it very far in the playoffs. And the Nationals, of course, you know, won the World Series, so you can't sleep on them either. As far as this Mets roster, uh, you mentioned it. In years past, it's been such a rotation-centric team, and that isn't as true anymore. DeGrom's still DeGrom, obviously, and behind him you have Marcus Stroman and Steven Matz, who are going to need to step up in place of Syndergaard if the Mets are going to make some noise this year. Uh, and then you alluded to it, but this offense could be terrific if things break the right way. Uh, we saw a lot of strong seasons last year, right? Alonzo McNeil, obviously. Shady Davis showed people what he could do. Dom Smith played great whenever he got the chance. And if you factor into that a DH spot and maybe a healthy UNSS for this, I will... I'm not banking on that. I will believe that he is a good major league hitter again when I see it, you know, with all that he's been through the past two years. Uh, but the, the big question mark to me is the bullpen. And the bullpen to me is a, a proxy of sorts for the Mets as a whole, where in that they could be terrific, they could be dominant, but also it might be a disaster if things don't go the right way. Diaz needs to bounce back. Familia needs to bounce back. Will Betances find his perennial all-star form after missing all but one game of last season? There are some question marks there, and the Mets don't need all of that to go their way, but they need a couple of those guys to be the late-inning arms that they've been in the past to combine with Seth Lugo, of course. Um, and and so, so if they have some things go their way, it could go great. Um, they definitely have the ceiling. Absolutely. Tim Healy, Mets beat reporter for Newsday, joining me. It's going to be weird. This is, it's not a narrative. It's a sprint. It's 60 uh, games in 66 days. We're assuming everybody stays healthy. There's no shutdowns. There's nothing like that. You got the DH, as you mentioned, which I love. 
I hate the extra inning rule. I'm, I think it's Me a crown too. balloon. I know that the league. I think the league is is using the safety as kind of a disguise. This is a trial balloon. Uh, let's call it what it is. But you know, I get in trouble when I say that. People get mad at me. But you know, maybe some maybe there's some truth to the safety part of it. Um, it's it's going to be weird. You can't let things develop. All those stories you just mentioned, Diaz and Cespedes, and and kind of Alonzo repeat and all that stuff. It's almost like everything's going to get thrown at you, and and you, it's a whirlwind, and you're not going to have time to let the season develop and breathe so as a writer it's different as a fan it's different routines are thrown off it's hard for me to even fathom how we're going to assess this because i don't know it's almost <laughs> like okay here we go and uh you know i all the all the things that i look for the, the the benchmarks the the little things that are part of the baseball season i don't feel like they they matter right now because you just don't know do, do you agree it's it's a very strange feeling yeah it, it's going to be bizarre you know, think about so much of what we know about baseball and how we think about baseball is, is grounded in the fact that it's a 162 game regular season, right? That is a marathon. If a guy has a terrible April, it's easy for the manager to say, ah, we're not worried about him. We know at the end of the year, his numbers will be there. That, that's not true this year. If you stink for the first month, that's half the season. <laughs> so people, hot start, cold start, it's going to be completely shift the dynamics of the season. I think of the Cy Young race in the National League last year. If that Cy Young was based on the first 60 games, Hyunjin Ryu probably wins the Cy Young. If it's based on the last 60 games, it's probably Jack Flaherty from the Cardinals. But, of course, taken all together, it was Jacob DeGrom, and you know it was another runaway win for him. So the because it's such a short season, some wacky things can happen because a random hot streak for an individual for the awards or for a team for the playoff race can completely change the dynamic. Steven Matz, for example, right? Overall, a solid pitcher, you know, perfectly fine middle of the rotation pitcher. Um, we, we all know about his first inning problems, his streakiness in a given season. We've seen stretches where Steven Matz is, you know, an all-star caliber type pitcher over the course of 60 games. Can he or can Stroman or can whoever put together a run like that for these 60 games? There's not really a lot of room or margin for error. So it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. And, and fingers crossed it does play out and, and the coronavirus pandemic allows for it. When I look at some of the recent veteran signings, Melky Cabrera, Jared Hughes, uh, Gordon Beckham, and I'm looking at it, and I keep forgetting, well, geez, it's a 60-man roster. There's going to be this taxi squad over in Brooklyn and Coney Island. It, that's another thing that's different. The Mets are in clearly a win now. Uh, I think there's a lot of fans that are, are not going to take a, a winning season in the sense if the Mets go to the World Series the same as if it was last year or a normal year. But Brody Van Wagen is all in, and you've written about him over at Newsday, uh, the veteran signings are a part of that. You can see they're not looking to develop guys or have guys uh, necessarily who can be, um, you know, double-A, single-A guys just to be around the taxi squad. They're going to go with the Cabrera's and whatnot. And that'll be interesting how that plays out because are these guys going to sit in Coney Island all year waiting for something to happen? Because you're only going to have, at one point, 26 guys. So you're going to have over 30 guys sitting around waiting for a call. Very strange situation. That's pretty pretty much right. It's it's another bizarre 
site. Another bizarre variable of this bizarre season. Um, as you mentioned, Brody Van Wagenen is all about winning right now. And coming into 2020, it was an important year for the Mets, right? They've been in that win-now mode for a few years. Last year was progress, but not progress enough. They fell short of the playoffs. This year, they felt really good about themselves. They had the rotation. Cespedes was coming back. They had all those good young hitters who turned into a good core from last year. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's a global pandemic and the played plans, right? Uh, so, yeah, it, th- those veteran additions are basically the uh, break glass in case of emergency sort of deals, right? Best case scenario, Melky Cabrera never plays for the Mets this year. But the reality is that there's a, you know, an infectious disease going around and no team knows how that will affect them personnel wise. Maybe team X gets away with just a couple of guys sidelined. Maybe another team loses a dozen guys. We just don't know how it's going to go. And the Milky Cabrera, Hunter Strickland, uh, those types of signings, uh, Gordon Beckham is another one that stuck out to me the other day. Those types of signings are are insurance, essentially. You mentioned Jared Hughes, too. He is the only one of the bunch of guys to sign this week who got a major league deal. And you know, just in looking at his numbers a little more closely the past 24 hours or so, that's a good addition. You know, he, he signed a pretty inexpensive deal. Um, and I hadn't been too familiar with Jared Hughes, aside from his habit of sprinting to the mound from the bullpen. Yep. Aside from his status generally as a journeyman type reliever, but he's been durable. He's got a career sub three ERA, big ground ball guy. I think that could be a, a pretty important signing depending on how things shake out. Tim Healy and Newsday joining me, Mets beat reporter at Tim B. Healy on Twitter. Again, 60 game season is so many different storylines, but now that you have a chance to reboot, are you looking at some of the key storylines that you were looking at back on the third week of March in the same way? You know, you have, like I said earlier, Alonzo with the pressure of repeating. I mean, he had probably maybe the best year he'll have in his career. Diaz, you know, DeGrom for three Cy Youngs. You have guys like J.D. Davis trying to emerge and Jeff McNeil trying to, you know, say, hey, I'm not just a one-year wonder. Uh, you know, you have the rotation and what's going on there with a couple of veterans looking to prove themselves. What what are the one or two big things now in this 60-game sprint that are your big stories that you're looking at that could be the keys uh, that the fans should be looking at uh, for this 2020 Mets? I, I like how you originally phrased that about what I was looking at in mid, mid-March before all this happened. <laughs> I have to think about it and remember, right? Back then, before spring. You're rusty because I'm rusty. Yeah, I'm rusty. <laughs> I was it, thinking about we're talking about rules and negotiations and all this stuff. And I, and I, the other day I'm thinking about the team and I'm like, wait a minute. I, I was forgetting some guys. I'm like, it's been so long. Cause you don't, I mean, have you ever had a time where you're, you're, you're not following baseball every day? There was nothing to follow Tim. It's, it was right. weird when I'm watching more on, on Amazon than I'm watching uh, New York Mets highlights. There's a problem there. You know, I could tell you about Bosch if you want, or, you know, Homeland <laughs> or something, but not, not so much about the Mets bullpen, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been shaking off the rust, uh, shaking off the rust. But as far as storylines, I think one of them has to do with the rotation. Before things got shut down, it was the question of, okay, which one of these starters is going to be the tough luck guy and have to go to the bullpen. And now we know the answer is none of them. 
now now the question it becomes can Rick Porcello and Michael Waka be legitimate major league starters which they haven't really been in the last couple of years Porcello's been bad Waka has been okay but injured so it the back end of the rotation is a bit of a question mark to me um but then the, the other you know as far as storylines go uh, the bullpen is what it is right Diaz has, has to be the uh the X factor, so to speak, there. Is he going to be 2018 Mariners Edwin Diaz or 2019 Mets Edwin Diaz? And relievers are just so fickle in their performance year to year or even month to month. Uh, it's, it's, I know the Mets are optimistic. They say they're optimistic, but he's going to have to prove it. Uh, so it's to me, two, two main storylines are the back of the rotation and the the back end, so to speak, the late innings of the bullpen. And then, of course, you know, obviously you have the obvious of Ken DeGrom win a third straight Cy Young in this weird season. And then, uh, you know, what can Alonzo – the question to me of what can Alonzo do for an encore is a little watered down because he's just not going to have that much of a chance to do an encore. So maybe he avoids the sophomore slump that way or, or you know, maybe he goes off for – 30 home runs in 60 games. Who knows? Here's a, I'll throw you, this is probably more of a fan-centric question, but I'll throw this to you because it is okay. something to think about. If you were told, you know, and I'm sure the Mets would say yes to this, I'll guarantee you you'll win a championship this year in the 60-game season, but you may win a championship in a regular season. I'm not saying yes, I'm not saying no. Will you sign for the championship in the 60-game season? I mean, that's not just a fan question. That could be a Brody question. Like a, a, an sure. executive is always going to say, give me the championship. But I don't know. Like, if you told me I have one shot in my lifetime as, as an executive or a fan to win a championship and get the glory, I don't know if this season feels the same. I just don't know. I mean, look, the champagne is the same. Maybe they'll oh, – probably not. They can't throw it. I would, say. I would think that's all out the window, right? So they'll have to Zoom the, uh, the celebration. But anyway, oh, it's God. just not – it's not the same. It's – uh, you know, I know they want to play, and I think it's good for the, the country, and I think it's, the players obviously need to earn a living. I just It's going to be hard, I think, for a lot of people to get into this. And, and they're not going to take a championship seriously, unless you're the Yankees or the Dodgers. Then you have to, right? Because that's always how it goes when they talk about the Yankees or the Dodgers. But, um, <laughs> you know, seriously, it's, it's an odd question. I'm not sure how I feel. I, I don't know if I would sign up. If someone said, you know, you make a deal with the devil, sign up for the championship. Uh, this is not the season. I think I I signed that that deal. I say, you know what? I'll take my chances in another year. So the question is, would you take a guaranteed championship this year if it's yep. the only championship of your lifetime, or if it has no bearing on the on the coming years? No, like you say, I'll guarantee you. I can't promise you you'll get a championship in your lifetime, but I'll guarantee you this year. You may after this, but I can guarantee you this year. Would you sign up for that just to experience it? I don't think I'd say yes. I think I'd take my chances I, after this. I think a chance in a regular season. I, I'd prob- probably do both. I'd say, sure, give me the championship, but I'm still going to take my chances in the coming years. <laughs> I think I'm, it, it, it won't be normal because nothing about this is normal, but a championship to me is a, is a championship, and people or you know fans who pay en- enough of attention, and in this case a minimal amount of attention, fans will remember – the circumstances in which that championship was won, right? Uh, the, the Astros, for example, a couple years ago when they won, there's no formal asterisk on that season or championship, but 
you know, every baseball fan knows, okay, yeah, that was the year they were cheating. They won, but we're going to view that a little differently. 1981, you know, everybody, you know, nobody remembers really that that season was shortened. And, uh, you know, that isn't viewed as a lesser World Series championship. Uh, This year is a more extreme case since it's only 60 games, since there's so much else going on in the world. Uh, But I I think, to me, a championship is a championship, and you, you can never turn that down. So you're not telling anybody, whether the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Pirates, they could hang that banner next year. They could put it up there. It's not, you know, there's no embarrassment that you put up a 2020 World Series championship oh, banner. You're absolutely you're cool not. Hang, hang that banner, have a ring ceremony, sell the merchandise. Absolutely. Do it no, all. They'll sell the merchandise. They'll sell, the, <laughs> they'll sell the merchandise. I don't know if they'll hang the banner, but they'll sell the merchandise. Tim, <laughs> Tim Healy, Mets beat reporter for Newsday. A couple of things before we... Uh, we wrap up um, minor league baseball. It, well, two things. Let's before we get to minor league baseball. Uh, you wrote about Brody Van Wagen in the paper, and you yeah. know he's a polarizing figure. I wonder if he'll be as polarizing now that Leon Rose is a an executive with the Knicks. I know Palinka with the Lakers did it first, but Brody was somewhat of a because he's in New York was was getting all this publicity for being an agent, and I know he's made mistakes, and I know that. You know, maybe he's not easy to work. I know he's not easy to work for. I mean, ask Mickey Calloway. Um, but I think he's done some good things. I mean, certainly he's got a, a riverboat gambler draft strategy. He likes to go for it. Yeah. He's brought some energy to the organization. Um, he's not Sandy Alderson. Nothing against Sandy. He's got a little bit more energy and, and not as methodical as Sandy, which I like. Um, I don't know if that plays well for all the fans and the media, but. Uh, I think you got to give the guy credit. And he, and he said to you guys, look, I'm not worried about my job security, which a confident guy who's achieved. And let's remember, guy got to the top of CAA. That's not easy. You're not a dumb right. doing that, whether you like agents or not. Um, and, I, and I expected that kind of answer for someone who's been an achiever in his life. Um, what is your impression? You've now covered him for over a year, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, what is your impression of Brody going into 2020? And, uh, and what do you see for him going forward? In the article I wrote a couple days ago, which is, I think, the one you're referencing, the gist was, you know, there's probably a new ownership group coming in. And if and when that happens, they're going to have a decision to make about Brody and about a million other things in the organization. That, that was the gist of it. And within that article, I noted that, you know, it, as far as evaluating Brody Van Wagenen as a general manager, it's too early to draw definitive conclusions. You're right that he's absolutely polarizing, and some things have been disasters from the Diaz and Cano trade to the Lowry and Familia signings. And then there have been the positives. The drafts, you know, in immediate hindsight, look very successful, right? Hopefully those for the Mets, those prospects pan out. J.D. Davis was a great pickup. Um, there, have, there have been definitely good things. Uh, you know, he does bring high energy. Uh I don't know how much I factor that into like evaluating him as, as far as job performance, but what it ultimately comes down to and what I suspect it will come down to for the eventual new owners is how did Brody Van Wagenen's Mets teams actually perform in year one? Like I said, it was progress, but not enough progress this year. We're going to find out hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, and then we'll see what happens after that. So overall Brody's been done a middling job, I would say. Some good moves, some bad moves. Uh, a mediocre sub-playoff team last year. Um, 
And, you know, all, all anybody can do is further evaluate their take on that as we get more information, more information in, in, the, in the form of transactions, deals, on-field performance, things along those lines. So uh, on the whole, he's done okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, a sexy answer. No, but I mean, okay. I, I think it's fair. <laughs> I think it's fair. I think, you know, almost you, you get shamed by Mets fans for saying anything positive about him because of Jared Kelnick. And at some point, you know, Jared Kelnick's like the girlfriend that, you know, is not there. Like, you got to let go of your first girlfriend. You got to let it go. I mean, you know, even after you're, you know, at some point you've got to move on. But uh, it, it's not uh, the only really, thing. Yes. I was going to say, it, that trade isn't the only thing. But I, I understand to some degree why people hang on to that just because it was his signature move such a big move he came in off the bat wanted to make noise and uh hasn't gone well so far there's still time for that trade to look differently uh but we'll see how it plays out should have ran he should have ran for the first down he threw it into the end zone he got picked off that's probably the way you could look at that uh, there you go another no, no seattle better. reference another seattle that's right that's a, that's a good point i didn't think of that um i'm a patriots fan hometown so i don't hardball, forget home, home, hometown hardball is uh is a book you came out about minor league baseball a few years ago and i think it's appropriate to bring up not only because you know any baseball book now uh during a time when we still don't have sports for at least another three weeks uh is worth reading and with minor league baseball canceling their season for the first time since 1901 not a surprise i've covered plenty of minor league games I love some of these parks. Uh, I was talking to Kevin Kernan last week. He was telling me that poor bat dog out, down in Trenton, and I'm a Golden Retriever owner. they got to take the dog to the park just to fetch bats. He's got to get his work in. Yeah, I mean, minor league baseball's uh, got a, a, a charm, and it's under. It's going to be different now no matter what because of, uh, of COVID-19. Uh, talk a little bit about your thoughts on the season being canceled and the future of minor league baseball, and obviously give a plug to uh, – your book, Hometown Hardball, a minor league baseball road trip from the Rocky Shores of Maine, the bright lights of New York City. So you can check that out over on Amazon. There's your plug. So uh, let us know a little bit about your thoughts because minor league baseball is, uh, is going to be different next year, regardless of what our world looks like. Yeah, like so much that has happened because of the pandemic, this is just an absolute disaster for minor league baseball, for major league baseball even. You know, from the pure MLB standpoint, Player development this year is a mess, right? Players aren't playing. You can't develop really if you're not playing. For all the zooming you can do and technology and data you want to look at, nothing can replace those missed reps and those missed games. Um, and then I, I really feel for all of the communities this year uh, that aren't going to have their local team playing and may never see their local team play again. You, you mentioned it, but MLB is looking to contract minor league baseball and limit the number of teams that limit the number of affiliates that major league teams have. So that'll be cut down by, you know, several dozen minor league teams, probably as soon as next year, they're still kind of figuring that out, but there are cities, small towns across the country that have part of their identity in minor league baseball and when that goes away either for this season or permanently um it changes the course of lives i think you could say whether it's you work for those teams or are a kid going to games at those teams you know when i was a kid growing up in connecticut i went to britain rock cats they were double a they played binghamton they played trenton 
They played Portland. Uh, and I firmly believe that going to those games was a part of my personal development as somebody who was obsessed with baseball and went on to have, you know, write about baseball for a career. So um, we'll never know the full extent to which uh, these cancellation of the minor league season will have, but it's just really sad for so many reasons on so many levels. For you, so now things are going to be what – what do you have coming up? Because this is a challenge for you guys. You got to – in all seriousness, you're, you're on, on, a mar- on a sprint. You got to get out of that ballpark in, what, 90 minutes? It's, it's yeah. not easy to cover a baseball team. I mean, everybody thinks – I mean, I don't go to the clubhouse, of course, like you every day, but everyone thinks it's glamorous standing in the middle of the clubhouse waiting for these guys to talk to you who, let's face it, media and athletes has been tough over the last few years as you get you know, more and more of the social media aspect. Uh, so now it's even tougher – it's going to be more Zoom, more controlled by the team. Are you ready for this? I mean, you have to be, but, but you know, how is this going to impact like, what you, know, you are looking to do over the next couple of weeks and those who want to follow you at, uh, on Twitter at Tim B. Healy and also obviously at uh, Newsday, the paper and Newsday.com? It, it changes my job. It changes any beat writer's job a lot. Normally, like you said, we are allowed to go into the clubhouse before the game, after the game, down on the field during batting practice, you know, and you never know when you'll have a conversation or notice something, see something that will lead to a story or might later become relevant, depending on how the game goes, depending on how the month or season goes. There's a lot you take in that might be that you file away and think, okay, that's interesting. I'll have to come back to that. This year, it's going to be much more limited which makes the job of a reporter much more challenging. All of the interviews are going to be done via Zoom. Uh, the clubhouse will not be open to reporters. Reporters will not be allowed down near the field during batting practice. Um, so it's going to be, you know, it, it, it's going to be harder in that sense, but it'll be, a, it'll be an opportunity for some reporters who want to get a little more creative with it, whether that means, uh, writing different kinds of stories or trying to write stories centered around things that aren't necessarily from the clubhouse. Uh, you know, th- there are other ways to inform and entertain readers than, uh, you know, your basic, you know, game happened, here's the score, here's what they said. And uh, it's so I don't know who it's going to be yet. I like to think I'll be one of them. Uh, but some some people are going to rise to the occasion and uh, make the best of a bad situation. You got any good Amazon and Netflix series you've been watching that you want to recommend to the listeners while you've been <laughs> waiting for baseball to come back? Or have you been preparing? Let me guess. You've been combing through 2019 Mets stats the whole time from <laughs> March to now, right? I wouldn't wish that upon anybody, but d- during the baseball hiatus, I, I finished my rewatch of Lost, which in my opinion is the best show of all time. And That's now awesome. I'm watching the, now I'm watching the Americans, which is also very good. So strong recommend for both of those shows. All right. Well, listen, you do great work at Newsday. I've always enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate you spending time with me here. Uh, be safe, be healthy and uh, you know, buckle up. It'll be an interesting season. So let's do this again, Tim. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thank you. The Mets have had some of the best broadcasting teams in the history of baseball. We do our part in remembering that, like when Mark Rosamond, co-author of the book Down on the Corner, 
looked back on the post-game show Kiner's Corner, hosted by none other than the iconic Ralph Kiner. I agree with you. You know, you look at it, and, and I've kicked this around with a lot of people, including Steve Gelbs. I would love, I know they do the on-field interview, like right after the game, but that's maybe three, four seconds, and then the player's off into the dugout and into post-game. And then you cut to, you know, Mets post-game live, and you have an hour worth of analysis. Uh, this was just pure player and, and the Hall of Fame player talking baseball. It wasn't over-analytical. It wasn't exit velocity. It wasn't, you know, how many times a shift was deployed in the game. It was just pure, simple baseball. And that's why I think people loved, of our generation loved it. it I, I think we've gotten to a point where baseball is over-analyzed. And you lose some of the pureness of the game through the overanalyzation. And I would love to see it go back a little bit, but I don't think it will ever happen. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Yes, if you, uh, on another note, if you want to, if you, and maybe you've probably say, Mike, how can you not have watched some of these? These shows uh, before the pandemic, I think uh, net you know watching Netflix. There's always been some cool shows there. Uh, Homeland for me was something I never watched, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, I've been watching Bosch recently, and and I watched Jack Ryan for the first time actually uh, about a month ago. That was only two seasons, and and it's amazing because when you get caught up in the baseball season, when you get caught up. And certain things, uh, you know, you kind of forget uh, about other things. I mean, the baseball game is three hours plus all the dialogue and, and all the stuff that goes on around it. Uh, it takes up your day, and it's every day for six months. Uh, so it's a chance to get to watch and do some of the things that you normally wouldn't do. But uh, on the note with Tim Healy, a couple of quick things. And, um, you know, the first thing I wanted to address is that you're seeing, and we didn't get it into it with Tim, we were running out of time, but I have to give a ton of respect because I've been critical about, you know, hey, you got to go to work, you know, you got people out there putting their lives on the line, essential workers, and it's disrespectful for people uh, in professional sports to complain about health and safety when they'll be probably more healthy and safe in the environments that they're in than anybody who's, you know, making deliveries or working in a hospital and what have you. Uh, but with that as it may, I have to give a ton of respect to guys like Ian Desmond and Mike Leak and Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross. Those are the guys that so far as of this broadcast have opted out because they're not going to get paid. They're going to obviously get the, uh, you know, what they got back in March, the fronted money. which is, I think it's about 300000 if you're a veteran like a Zimmerman, if I'm not mistaken. But that's it. So they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're really – being authentic, in my opinion, about health and safety. It's not just lip service. It's not like a player in another league like the NBA that got 90% of their salary already and it's pretty easy to punt. Whether it's for good reason or not, it's pretty easy to punt on 10% of their remaining salary. Much different situation because it's, it's this would be no different than a lockout if uh, it's actually Major League Baseball players would get at least something if it was a situation where like you were going to lose... Because of a lot, because of a strike, you were going to lose all your salary because the, the sport didn't come back. So I got to give a ton of respect to them, and I want to put that out there. I also know that people took umbrage with the fact that I made comments about my thoughts on uh, health and safety and the rules. The last podcast regarding 
professional baseball. And I'm not going to roll back any of that stuff. Those are my opinions. I was disappointed in the fact that for those, if they actually were longtime listeners, those who reached out, two or three people, if they actually were, which I sometimes, when people put critical feedback, especially like, I'll never listen again, I always am suspicious because I don't I don't see how any one comment, if you enjoy a product, could could change your thoughts on never you know subscribing again. That's usually a way for someone who popped in and popped out to you know hurt you or to you know try to encourage those who are longtime subscribers not to continue to listen. Look, you listen, you listen, you don't, you don't. I'm, I'm, I appreciate the fact, and I always tell when someone reaches out and emails me, I always tell them, I appreciate everything that you dedicate in terms of time for a week. If it's an hour. That's a big commitment, and if you enjoy it and you do it, whether you agree or disagree with me, I appreciate that a thousand percent, and I and I am humbled by it. And that's not me just giving you lip service. That's a sincere, from the heart statement. But if you can't handle me, and I don't get into politics, and I don't care who you vote for, and I don't want it to be about politics, but there's an intersection right now with with the sports world. And if you don't believe that, or want to hear that, or uh, you know don't like it, well. That's reality, and I'm hoping when the games start, and if we can have an NBA season and a baseball season, and then football comes back in this fall, uh, hopefully, and the college football comes back, forget about fans and, and all the rules or, or the, the way the things look, you know, NHL comes back, you know, maybe that will give somebody something to say, let me stop, you know, those that are still doing 24-7 virus talk and political talk, which is what's because that's what's on, and you're tired of watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, uh, you know, maybe that'll get them to to walk away for a little bit and get some context and perspective. So that doesn't mean there aren't serious things and that it's 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 a bad thing that you're you're involved or or maybe consuming that. But but it it, it sometimes it gets to the point where maybe it makes you a little bit more sensitive. So uh, I'm not rolling back from anything like that. I stand by what I said. If it offended you, I do apologize. Um, that wasn't my talk, uh, my, my intent. That wasn't the, the, the reason why I brought it up and talked about it. Uh, but I do find uh, some of these rules window dressing. I do find some of the regulations as ways to prevent lawsuits down the road, which is a shame that we're more focused on legalities than having common sense health practices. Uh, I do think politics is intertwining with sports and it scares the, the hell out of me because sports has always been where you can get away from that and distract yourself. And if we start to put that in the same vein as what Hollywood does to us now with their statements and whatnot uh, during their uh, movies and shows and, and award shows, it just becomes this sanitized, nauseating PC, uh, fake outrage, you know, fake, fake sanctimony part of society that I just don't like and I always felt that the sports world was immune to it and I'm learning that that might not be the case going forward and it bothers me will I live with it and survive sure do I like the fact that political statements are being put on an NBA basketball court no I don't think so because if it was uh, another time in our country that would you know almost be equal time right I mean that would be someone demanding equal time in some ways, uh, you know, without getting too deep into this, because I know that people could debate that statement. I'm not getting into it deep because it's not going to go anywhere near positive the way I want it to come across. But that was my intent. I think it would be insincere if I didn't bring it up and I didn't talk about it and acted like it didn't exist because this is about real world nonfiction things. 
The good news is after this podcast, after everything that we've talked about, we can talk about baseball, at least today, at least as we go into the 4th of July weekend. And uh, we'll see what Spring 2.0 brings. We'll see how this Mets roster develops. Be very interesting to see the new rules, the DH. I hate the the extra inning rule, but it adds a little bit of some nuance and strategy to the situation and maybe some drama as you get deeper into the season and you have to win a game and it's extra innings. And now every inning you start with a runner on second base, so you're you're pitching out of a jam every inning. Um, you know, hopefully that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Edwin Diaz having a good or bad season and how uh, Jacob deGrom, even in this short season, could win another Cy Young Award. Uh, you know, we're talking about a pennant race. We're juiced for Subway Series games. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the virus. I don't want to talk about public health officials. I don't want to roll my eyes at unnecessary uh, protocols that are just meant to make people believe that we're, you know, politically correct and responsible. I don't want to talk about all that stuff, but it's there. And uh, mark my words, mark my words that, you know, there's going to be a controversy over this because somebody's going to violate something in a post-game celebration. And uh, that'll dominate our talk for a week. It'll probably be on this podcast. And what am I going to do? Not talk about it and not offend somebody who believes in it. And if you believe in it, there's nothing wrong with that. Still listen. I respect the hell out of you. And I hope that you're safe, and I hope that you're healthy, and I have no problem with you. I don't believe in all of it. That doesn't mean I'm going out there and 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 judging you, and I hope that you don't judge me. So that was kind of my uh, two cents on that. And again, they're not listening. The people that were that outraged, well, doesn't matter. But for those that are, I want you to know, I don't, I don't, none of this. This is all talk. This is all meant to get you thinking. Whether you agree or disagree, that's fine. That's the purpose of this show, and I'm not going to change. And I'm not going to, uh, you know, sacrifice who I am, which has always been an unfiltered, professional opinion um, that I just want you to listen to and hopefully enjoy and consume and get you thinking. And if you think I'm a dope, yeah, that's fine. That's the part of it. There's plenty of things you're not going to agree with on this, baseball or otherwise. I'm going to say something, but does that mean that you should click it off and, and go away forever? Well, that would disappoint me. It does tell me a lot about you. And... Um, you know, maybe maybe they weren't as loyal of a listener as I thought. But anyway, I'm glad that we're back. Uh, I'm hoping to get, you know, a lot of people were telling me that they couldn't get into uh, baseball during this time. That's completely understandable. Hopefully they start to make their way back. We start to go back to being the community that we were pre-pandemic, and we continue to move forward. I believe, and I continue to believe there'll be better days ahead. I continue to believe that as we get closer to 2021, our sports will start to look a little bit more normal. Um, you know, nothing based on fact other than I have faith and hope that, uh, you know, we will continue to adapt and evolve. And ultimately, uh, historically anyway, sports in this country has always found a way to continue to go back to being what it was, even in the most difficult times, you know, whatever that, you know, period of history has been. So anyway, we're out of time. I want to thank Tim Healy of Newsday. You can check him out on Twitter at Tim B. Healy. Newsday's a great paper. Again, I'm biased from Long Island, but check out. He's got some really great content content over there. You could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, even on iHeartRadio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to send me a personal note, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. Enjoy the barbecues, enjoy the fireworks, do it safely, do it healthy, and we'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast pretty soon. Till then, be well, everybody.